The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Greetings, friends. I'm Jim Blake, CEO of Unity World Headquarters. From all of us at Unity Village, we wish you a joyous and blessed holiday season. May this time of year for you be filled with magic, miracles, and unending peace. Namaste. Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Reverend Ellen Debenport. And welcome to Voices of Unity. I'm Ellen Debenport. This is a show that invites different new thought leaders to share their wisdom and expertise so that you can dive deep into spiritual topics and discover new ideas and practices to enhance your life. Our guests are sometimes unity ministers, other new thought leaders, who are sharing sort of a body of work, something special that they've learned, sometimes based on a book they've written. And so because there's so much to say and ask them about, they come for more than just a one-shot interview. They come and stay for weeks, and we talk in depth, and it's, it's been a lot of fun. So this is the fourth week with Ben Jameson. This is the last week with Ben, at least for now, mm-hmm. and the last live show of the year for Voices of Unity, although you may be listening, I don't know, years from now, uh, which is part of the magic of radio. So, Ben, welcome back. Thank you so much. We have been talking about a lot of things, but how to be spiritual. If you're claiming you're spiritual but not religious, what are you doing about it? What are some spiritual practices you can incorporate into your life, whether you go to church or not? Uh, He wrote a book called Church-Free Spirituality, but personally, he's very involved in a couple of churches and has nothing against it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... Ben, could you sort of recap what we've talked about in the first three weeks? Absolutely. So we started out by looking at what this idea of church-free spirituality is and looking at how it's not, again, like you said, anything uh, being against church, but rather the recognition that our spiritual practice is something that is unique to us and that organized religion uh, does not have uh, the keys to that necessarily, that we are the ones who get to determine what works for us spiritually. We looked at how we can redefine some traditional church terms into a more open spiritual understanding so that it becomes easier for those of us who maybe have been harmed by religion in our past to reconnect with these ideas uh, that, that are so powerful for so many people and find a new way to have them be powerful for us as well. Uh, we took a look at a bunch of different spiritual practices. We've talked about love. Love is a spiritual practice. We've looked at meditation and affirmative prayer and affirmations. Uh, we've looked at gratitude. We've looked at compassion. There's so many more spiritual practices that we can dig into. Of course, each of those could have been weeks on their own sure, looking right. at those different ideas. 
So that's been a, a rough, quick nutshell of the of the first three weeks. Getting some some understandings on how we can begin to practice those ideas. We also looked at what consciousness is, how consciousness creates our experience. That everything that we've ever said, thought, felt, or done sort of creates this filter of perception through which we see the world, and that our spiritual practice is about cleaning that filter. It's about changing our perception so that we see the world in a more enlightened way. As we recognize the enlightened state that we always and already are to begin with. Wow! So you can tell the these first three weeks have been sort of a Swiss Army knife of <laughs> spiritual practices that can be used anywhere and for anything. And there's more to come. So what's on tap for today? Well, today I thought we'd look at uh, at spiritual education as a spiritual practice. That's one thing that is often overlooked and not really, uh, when we do look at it, it's not something that is often categorized as a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to take a little bit of a dive into that. Uh, and then it would be, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't look at some of the shadow sides of spirituality and, and spiritual practice and the new thought philosophy. Um, so we'll look at some of the ideas around responsibility and authority. We'll look today at metaphysical malpractice or metaphysical guilt, and then at acceptance and how those three things relate and how we can use those ideas to really help when, because uh, if we engage in a spiritual practice, our stuff is going to come up. Mm-hmm. That's the point of a spiritual practice. So if we're aware of what that's going to be like, if we have these mindsets that will help us to be successful, when the rubber meets the road, when the guck starts to rise, um, that can be very helpful in, in feeling successful with our spiritual practice and continuing to grow and develop. Guck, an official spiritual word. Yes. G-U-C-K? Guck. Okay. Guck, muck, gack. The guck starts to rise. (laughs) But yes, um, in ministerial school, we called that the hidden curriculum. Mm -hmm. You were coming, you were doing all this spiritual education, uh, which can be a practice. I'm glad you brought that up. And all your stuff is in your face. Mm -hmm. And they called that the hidden curriculum, and it was different for everyone. Whatever you needed to become aware of. I mean, we ask for all this awareness and awakening and ugh. (laughs) And then you get it. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes what we see in ourselves is just not pretty. So start with spiritual education. Sure. So just taking classes? Um, well, that is one aspect of spiritual education. So spiritual education, uh, again, as we went uh, previously and we talked about spiritual practices generally and indicated that really anything can be a spiritual practice when you bring the intention of having a spiritual experience through it. Uh, I think the same thing can be said of spiritual education. They can be very similar. We can observe, um, we can observe dogs playing at a dog park. And learn spiritually from that. We can be educated by how they relate to each other. Um, Spiritual education is often classes. Yes, spiritual education is listening to Unity Online Radio. Mm -hmm. Spiritual education is finding books that you like. Spiritual education is finding that spiritual community and having your Sunday services and those talks that can help to inspire and bring about new ideas. The thing about spiritual education is that so often it's something that is hit or miss. So when we're looking at spiritual practices, ideally those are things that we have a consistency around. So if we have a meditation practice, we want to do that every single day, a prayer practice every day, loving forgiveness practice every single day, right? There's a consistency there. So when we look at spiritual education as a spiritual practice, the goal is to have some consistency around it rather than having it be hit or miss. 
Um, when I when I first reengaged in in my spiritual practice many years ago, I started very slowly by going to a Centers for Spiritual Living Center and just listening to the Sunday service. And for me at that point in time, that was great education. Mm-hmm. It was a reminder of what I already knew, but I was getting a lot out of it. And then one day the minister said, you know, if you really want your life to change, jump into a class. Because when we jump into a class, when we engage with something, uh, Sunday services are great and it can often become that vain repetition that is talked about in the Bible where we just go because that's what we do on Sundays. And we go and we sit there and it's more social than it is necessarily educational. So when we jump into a class or listen to a radio show or read an amazing book like Church Free Spirituality (laughs) – and we do that with the intention of learning that puts our energy into this idea of personal growth, this idea of expanding our awareness. And so we get more out of it. You get in, you get out what you put in, basically. So the more effort, the more attention, the more time that we put in, the more we're going to receive from it. So when we look at spiritual education, um, how can we be consistent in it? Is there part of our spiritual practice that could be taking 10 minutes a day? to read from a spiritual book? Could it be that you go to the library and check out books on tape or books on CD Mm -hmm. that are of your favorite spiritual teachers and instead of listening to commercial radio in your car on the way to work, you listen to these ideas so that you spend more time in them as a way to educate yourself. Um, And and that's when your life is gonna change. Um, I, I love what you mentioned about the hidden curriculum um, it, it's a common idea, but in spiritual psychology, um, the the main viewpoint is that this is this earth is a school. Mm-hmm. We come in to be educated. We each have our own individual curriculum, and the goal is not to change the school. The goal is to graduate, <laughs> right? So we graduate by learning the lessons that are there for us to learn. That also means that spiritual education can come in the form of our difficulties and our struggles and our pains and our fears and our doubts. If we are willing to look at them, to have that compassion for ourselves like we talked about last week, to be able to sit in the midst of that discomfort and ask the question, why is this here? What is this serving me? How is this growing me? Mm-hmm. And be willing to face that and apply things like forgiveness, like contemplation, like compassion, like loving, like affirmative prayer to help work through what those issues are and to learn from them. But I also like that you mentioned our education can come from dogs in the park. Absolutely. So many people learn about unconditional love from their pets. Mm-hmm. And so that would be spiritual education. Absolutely. I'm glad to know it's that broad. Absolutely. I think I think it is incredibly broad. You know, any experience that you have can educate you. I um I had uh, uh I was getting ready to do a talk on love as a spiritual practice for a spiritual center. Uh, And by the way, when you get to the point where you're doing talks at spiritual centers, preparing a talk is amazing spiritual education. Because as soon as you start planning a talk (laughs) about something, you are going to be provided opportunities to learn about it. So I was doing this talk on the spiritual practice of loving. And I had to go to the DMV. (laughs) And so I thought, you know, the DMV is a place that is pretty devoid of love. Yeah. So I'm going to go in there and I'm going to do my best to bring my loving practice with me the entire way. I'm going to look at every single person in that room and I'm going to consciously send loving to them. I'm going to recognize – you can go back and listen to the previous episode where we went in depth about that. And the amazing thing was 
I walked in. It was full of people. I went to grab a number. It was, I forget a number that was so far down the line. <laughs> a lady at a desk on the far corner was like, oh, are you here for, for just the renewal? And I said, yeah. And she said, okay, I can take you. I bypassed everybody in line. I got done, like I was in and out in 10 minutes. And the time that I was waiting, that little bit of time that I was waiting, it was all spent loving everybody in the place. It was the most delightful experience in the DMV I've ever had. <laughs> and how educational when you experience what the practice of loving can do at a place like the DMV. Mm-hmm. I did the same thing with jury duty. Oh, my God. Completely shifts the experience. I learned so much about love in myself because I brought loving into where loving didn't seem to be present mm-hmm. for most part. Spiritual education. Interesting. Okay. So spiritual education can just be putting into practice or can be experiential. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Experiential education is one of the best forms of education. Mm-hmm. You can read a book about acting. You can read a book about construction. You can read a book about martial arts or spirituality. And that's great. But you really learn by doing right. what the book says. Right. And you're right about talk preparation. I got a lot of spiritual learning and satisfaction just from preparing talks because it's lots of reading and study and contemplation and was my favorite part of being a church minister. Mm. And uh, you go out and speak too. Do you like the, the, the getting ready, the preparation? I do. And the thing that I love about it the most is how often I surprise myself about what I already know. Mm-hmm. So the way that I tend to to do my talk preparation is that I know what the general topic is, and I'll just stand up and start talking out loud about that topic to myself right. for 20, 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And as I do this over and over again, ideas begin to solidify, points become more clear, and then I'll say things in the middle of just talking out loud that blow my mind. And I go, wait a second. Let me think about that. And I have to think about it. And then it resonates. Mm-hmm. And then I apply it to my life and then things get better. And it's like that wisdom was always in there, but I didn't recognize it, didn't know it. And now here I have uncovered this wisdom that's already within me, which is helping to educate me about the amount of wisdom that is inherent in who I am already, inherent in who everybody is listening. Because as we've talked about earlier, if spirit is all there is, if this divine mind, this unlimited knowledge is all there is, then that's part of who and what we are. Mm-hmm. I was... I- I was complaining about something to a couple of friends in the church a few years ago, and they said, do you listen to yourself when you talk on Sunday? Because <laughs> you know the answers to all of this. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. So, yeah, practice what you preach, too. Mm-hmm. It's part of the education. So what did you mean by the shadow side? I don't want there to be a shadow side. So there, the shadow side is uh, – there's a lot of different ideas about what it is. But it's basically – it's the aspect of whatever uh, group or ourselves, that aspect that we don't like to look at, that aspect that we um, – that can be damaging, that aspect that can be uh, a hindrance um, for our experience. Um, you know, it's, it, it would be the part of us that – the part of us that likes to um, metaphysical malpractice, for example, um, it's a, it's a, that's part of the shadow side of the metaphysical philosophy, which is where if the idea is that we create our own experience mm-hmm. and I have a cold, 
then what's wrong with my consciousness that I created a cold for myself? Mm -hmm. Um, It's my fault. I created it. I'm bad. I'm committing this malpractice to myself or metaphysical guilt, as it were, feeling guilty because I'm hitting myself over the head with all these terrible things in my life that my philosophy says I create my experience and here I'm having this experience. So how bad am I? What's wrong with me? Um, that's, that's sort of a shadow side of the metaphysical philosophy. It's something that's there. It's something that's easy to fall into. It's something that can actually be a little rampant and that we don't want to look at. It's easier for us to put the blinders on to that. So anything in our experience, in our consciousness, in how we show up in the world that we're not wanting to look at, that we're avoiding, that we judge as bad and awful, those are shadow aspects of what we have going on. And the thing about them is that if we don't look at them, if we're unwilling to see them, um, then they will continue to be a difficulty in life. But as soon as we are willing to, uh, to sit and look, to stare fear in the face, mm-hmm. um, it loses its power. Mm-hmm. Not completely, but it loses its power a little bit. And then as we accept that aspect of ourselves, um, not that we're stuck with it, but just accept it as what is. And we'll talk a little bit more about acceptance here in a little bit. Um, there's this idea of resistance and acceptance, right? So and what you resist persists. Yes. That's the catchphrase in spirituality. Um, and it's an interesting thing because as a spiritual law, it correlates to a physical law, uh, which is Newton's third law of motion. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So if you are resisting something, if you can imagine, uh, take your left hand and your left hand is the thing and your right hand is you and you're resisting that thing. So you're pushing your right hand against your left hand, right? The law says that that left hand now has to push back against the right hand with equal force. Mm -hmm. So if I'm resisting something at a level 10, trying to push it away, that thing is pushing right back at me as a level 10. And now we've got this level 20 connection locked between us, not because that thing is bad or evil or out to get me, but because I have activated a law that requires it to come back at me with the same force that I push it away. That's resistance. The opposite of resistance, the other side of that coin is acceptance. And when we come into acceptance about these shadow things, about the things of ourselves that we don't like, then that pressure goes away. If we're, if we're locked in with this pressure and we try to turn away from that thing, it's going to follow us the entire time. If we don't have that pressure, we can slip aside from it. We can take a step back. We can have a more uh, clear view of, of what's really going on and, and then have more power to address it from a place where it's not locked in. People who um, are involved in martial arts mm-hmm. talk about that a lot. Talk about martial arts as a metaphor for that. Mm-hmm. Stepping aside, not fighting back. Yes. Just letting the energy go right past you. Yes. I, I did martial arts for many years, uh-huh. and, that's, and that's very accurate. If somebody is grabbing you and trying to pull you around and you're trying to pull back, it's, it's going to be a strength competition and likely they're going to win. Mm-hmm. If you go with the energy that they're bringing, if you're not resisting it and working with it, then it's easier to shift it and move through it. Same thing with, um, with looking at, at, this, at this shadow, uh, the shadow aspect of ourselves, of our spiritual uh, community, whatever that might be. Um, yeah. So let's go back to the idea that our thoughts have creative power mm. because that's where so much metaphysical malpractice 
shows up, although I'm not convinced there's as much as people claim there is. So, for instance, I used to have people in my church say they they didn't want to come to church if they were sick or if people knew they'd been sick because they'd be judged for having created it. I never heard anybody say, well, how did you create that? I think they knew better than to say that. I think the person who was sick was projecting a lot of that. And so you mentioned metaphysical malpractice we do on ourselves. Mm -hmm. How do you teach the principle that our thoughts have creative power without sounding like, therefore, everything in your life is your fault? (laughs) And that is is the rub. That is a very difficult thing to do. but so in the story that you shared, the, the people who said, I don't want to come because I'm afraid other people will judge me, they were the ones doing the metaphysical malpractice to themselves. Right. You cannot have that fear that somebody else is going to judge you for having created your own sickness unless you believe in the back of your head that you created your own sickness and are doing that malpractice to yourself. Mm-hmm. So the way that I would look at this idea of how do we teach that our thoughts create our experience without then – blaming ourselves for our experience. It's a fine line between, um, between blame and responsibility. And it's also about looking at where the power lies. So um, if I am walking down the street and somebody in another car driving down the road has had too many to drink and they're drunk and they hop the curb and hit me and break my leg, I did not, by my thinking, cause that other person to drink too much, get in the car and drive, and then cause them to drive down the road at the right and perfect time to jump the curb and hit me, right? To say that is just is, – is insane. There's no possible way that that makes any sense. And yet so often when we look at this idea of I created this terrible thing, that's really what we're saying when we really look at it. So it's about where the experience happens. Is it something outside of you? Are you saying that you created something outside of you that is completely – nothing is completely disconnected because it's in our experience. But that person in this example, that person drinking too much, I did not create that. Mm -hmm. There's no way that I could create that unless I were the bartender who was encouraging them to drink too much. What I create is my experience of that event. That event happened. It happened to me. I can resist that it happened or I can accept that it happened. If I resist it, I'm going to put myself in the mode of being a victim. Now, I'm not talking about being a victim as in a literal victim of I was a victim of the car jumping the curb and hitting me, but a victim in my consciousness in terms of continuing to have that experience negatively impact me over and over and over and over again. So when we look at it as I didn't create the car jumping the curb, but I create my experience of what that is like. That's where the power lies. So the first place is whether or not I want to resist or accept. Acceptance, um, one, of the, one of the wonderful teachers out there that I, I really enjoy, a man named John, uh, John Roger, who um, transitioned several years ago, um, he's, his thing is that acceptance is the first law of spirit. That's one of his phrases. If we accept something... And this is often misunderstood. It's not saying, oh, my God, this thing happened and it's part of me forever. I just accept that I'm going to be forever this thing. Like uh, um, pick anything like, uh, oh, I lost a job. So 
Uh, I'm just a person who loses a job. I accept that I lost this job and that I am a person who loses jobs. That's just who I am because I have to accept what happens because that's part of the spiritual practice. It's not about accepting something and, again, making ourselves a victim of that thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. It's saying, I accept that this is in my experience right now. Resisting it doesn't change the fact that it's there. Nothing changes the fact that it's there. So when we come into acceptance and say, this is my experience now, it's not my experience forever, but since it's here now, what do I want to do with it? So that, I think, is the first step in how we say we create our experience but then don't have that guilt about it. The experience happens around us. We have no authority over the things that happen around us. We have authority in our own consciousness. So when we accept that this is in my experience, we can then decide how we want to relate to it. And that's where the real power comes in, uh, in creating our experience. So, okay, so this happened. This car jumped the curb and hit me and broke my leg. Um, so now I'm going to have to deal with a broken leg. I'm going to have to deal with the insurance. I'm going to have to deal with all of this stuff that's going to come out. Do I want to be stressed out about that or do I want to just handle it? If I choose to be stressed out about it, I can do that. And then I am creating the experience of stress and overwhelm on top of a situation that doesn't need anymore. And that's not about blaming myself, but that's about recognizing what I'm doing. And then I can make a shift. When I recognize it, ah, I'm so stressed out about this stuff. I'm putting way more pressure on myself than I need to. I can just handle it. If I stop, resist it, stop resisting it and just handle it, it'll get handled. Um, if our perspective is how am I going to learn from this experience? What is this going to teach me instead of what are all the bad and negative things that are going to come from this and how, how ruined am I by this experience? That's going to create how we experience the, the, the circumstances around us. So again, I think, um, I, I think the part where we get in trouble where it becomes easy to go into the medical mal- metaphysical malpractice is when we take responsibility for things that are not ours to take responsibility for. If I have an asthmatic condition and I'm making myself responsible for it, well, do I work in a coal mine? Do I live in a highly polluted area and breathing pollutants all the time? Okay, well, then maybe I want to adjust those things and see if my asthma shifts. Those may be things I'm responsible for. But having asthma, because for whatever reason, is not something that we are responsible for. How we relate to it is, how we're, is what we're responsible for. The issue is not the issue. How we relate to the issue is the issue. Your timing is so good. It's time for a break. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, there's always more to talk about. My mind is full of ideas. So we will be back with Voices of Unity and Ben Jamison. Please give us a call if you're listening live on December 11th, uh, 816-251-3555. We'll be back after these messages. I'm Reverend Linda Martella Witset with Silent Unity, reminding you that we are here for you during the holidays to support you with affirmative prayer and inspiration. 
From all of us at Silent Unity, we wish you a beautiful and blessed holiday season. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous donations of listeners like you. If you feel inspired by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make your offering today. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Rev. Blair Tabor from Unity San Diego, taken from a talk called Sacred Service, The Ultimate Spiritual Growth. Who we are and who we perceive ourselves to be as human beings is just such a small part of who we are as spiritual beings. Remember the phrase that I like, you know, Emily Cady says, God did not make you to be spiritual pygmies, but spiritual giants. You know, and do we live as if we're spiritual giants? No, we don't. We live, we live as if we're you know, weak human beings. You know, we're spiritual giants. We need to live that way in our lives. So we have to let go of the ego. It's a challenge because we spent so much energy and focus on, on our ego, on dressing a certain way and talking a certain way and looking a certain way and, and lining ourselves in certain ways to, to uphold that ego identity. But as we're willing to let that go, let it be permeable to spirit, then what we find is we're connected to that infinite oneness that is God. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. I'm Rev. Linda Martellowitza with Silent Unity. While the holiday season is a time of joy, it can also be a time of sorrow or loneliness. Silent Unity, our 24-hour affirmative prayer ministry, is here for you. We pray with everyone, including and beyond all faith traditions. Call 816-969-2000, and a prayer associate will answer your call and pray with you, then keep you in continuous prayer for 30 days. Call today or reach us through the YouPray app. Happy Holy Holidays. What if you could start each day with a positive outlook, remembering you are a divine expression of God? Daily Word is a booklet of daily devotionals offering positivity that's downright contagious. With a print subscription or by email, you can pause to reflect on how to practice spirituality in your human experience. Reading Daily Word takes about a minute a day, so you can feel uplifted every morning. Visit dailyword.com to subscribe. If you have struggled with low self-esteem and body acceptance, it's time to experience radical self-love with Dr. Ramdesh and the Body Temple. Every Thursday at 4 p.m. Central, Ramdesh guides you to live a more empowered life. Gain a deeper love and acceptance of yourself through yoga and meditation techniques. Listen in as fascinating guests join the show to share their wisdom and help you on your spiritual journey. Join the show with your question or comment here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Rev. Ellen Devonport. We are back with Voices of Unity talking again to Ben Jameson. This is his fourth week on the show and it's um, it's really been interesting. We've just been talking about an array of spiritual practices that you can use with or without a church community. His book is Church-Free Spirituality. And you said someone who heard this show has now discovered your videos. Yes. 
Say some more about them, benjamison.com? Sure. So benjamison.com is my website. You can find the book there. You can also find my video series there by the same name, Church Free Spirituality. And every week I post a new video. They're relatively short. I think the longest one I ever did was seven minutes. So I try to keep them quick. Uh, And in that, we look at a different spiritual idea, a different spiritual topic. Um, I like to speak and teach from the perspective of my own life and what I'm experiencing. Um, you know, it's things can be a platitude if you don't really understand them. But once you're working on them, then there there becomes some authenticity in it. So I like to speak from what my own experience is. And so each week there's a new video, um, two to five minutes usually, that looks at a spiritual idea or a spiritual topic, how we can begin practicing it right away um, to have some real impact uh, in our lives with with that thing. So it's just another way to to engage in that spiritual education, spiritual practice and in short little snippets. Okay, thanks. Uh, Before the break, we were talking about what Unity calls the law of mind action, which is the idea that your thoughts have creative power, Um, power to heal. It's it's more popularly known as the law of attraction Mm -hmm. over the last decade or so. And we get in a lot of trouble with it. We get accused of blaming the victim We sometimes blame ourselves for what's showing up in our lives. So Ben was saying what really matters is how we respond to what shows up in our lives. I I lean a little more toward it didn't just happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although I'm not sure I'd go as far to say everything happens for a reason. Certainly everything can be made useful, and that's Mm -hmm. what you were saying. Yes. It's it's how we look at it. Uh, I think – one of the ways we get ourselves in trouble with it is just how we label things. Mm-hmm. So in your example of the broken leg, we don't have to label that as a bad thing. Uh, even if we say my leg hurts, we don't have to consider that a bad thing. And you know the old story of the Taoist farmer who's – what is it? His horse ran away and the neighbors said that's bad and then the horse returns with a bunch of extra wild horses and they say that's good and then – His son breaks his leg, and they say, that's bad. But the next day, the army comes through taking young men into service, and the son has a broken leg and doesn't have to go. So I'll I'll make the point that what we consider good and bad is mostly about our labels. I I was using Byron Katie again the other day, Mm -hmm. and you know her big book is Loving What Is, Mm -hmm. which is the same as not – as non-resistance. Mm-hmm. And you talked about what we resist persists. Mm-hmm. So, but aren't there some things maybe we should resist? Things going on in the world around us or things in our lives that really need to change. How do we do that without resisting them? So there's a difference, I think, between seeking to change something and resisting it. And I think this is where um, language is such a funny thing, and it sometimes requires a lot more precision than we give it. Mm-hmm. Um, so acceptance, again, does not mean that we don't do anything to change a situation that is unacceptable. An unacceptable situation can be accepted and still be unacceptable. It's not that we are accepting the situation. It's not that we are accepting the other point of view. It's not that we're accepting a certain behavior. We're accepting that it's in our experience. That's the acceptance. Because again, uh, 
I forget who said it, but I love the phrase. It might have been Byron Katie. Um, you can argue with reality. You'll lose, but only 100% of the time. <laughs> so reality is whatever this thing is, is in your experience. And to the degree that you are trying to resist it, to the degree that you're making it wrong for being in your experience, for making yourself bad for having it in your experience, for saying it shouldn't be in your experience, all of that is energy being expended in ways that does not serve what your ultimate goal is, which is to shift your experience. Mm -hmm. So when we accept something, when we love what is, it's not about being resigned to that thing. It's not about being resigned to that thing, being in our lives forever. Oh, I, I just have this terrible, awful relationship and it's so abusive. And, but I have to love what is, so I just love my relationship and I'm going to sit here stuck in this awful, abusive situation because it's spiritual for me to love what is and to accept it. Yes. No. <laughs> we accept that it is in our situation. And then through that acceptance that it is there, we work to move it. We work to shift it. We find out, we look at ourselves. What, it is, what is it about myself that, um, what am I getting out of this situation? How is this benefiting me? What do I want instead? What are the ways that I am showing up in the world that in this particular situation is teaching people to treat me this way? And how can I shift that? It's not about taking blame on ourselves. It's not about um, resigning ourselves to some awful thing. But to the degree that we resist, to the degree that we uh, don't just say, all right, God, spirit, the universe, life itself, whatever your term is, all right, this is mine to deal with, clearly because it's here. Now let me get about the business of dealing with it. Mm -hmm. It is loving what is in terms of a, a, a situation that you don't like, you also have to love what is in terms of your desire to change that situation. There is not one thing that is unlovable in that regard. Both of them need the loving. And by loving the part of yourself that wants to change the situation and loving the situation itself, you soften the situation and empower the aspect of you that can change it. Cool. And that's what spiritual growth is all about. That's what spiritual growth is all about. Okay. So whatever it is we're labeling bad, and I, and I think a lot of people are able to do this, we can say this is in my experience, maybe not for a reason, but as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. It offers an opportunity for me to not resist it, but look at it and then do something about it. And yeah, and so all of this too comes back to the idea that we were talking earlier, uh, I think in the first week, about how we get to use the terms that work best for us. Mm -hmm. So if what works best for me is this opportunity is here and I can learn from it, or this is here for a reason. If this is here for a reason, makes me feel icky and disempowers me, don't use that. Mm -hmm. But if this is here for a reason, empowers me to go after the growth, then use that. If, if, a, if a physical illness or an injury or something that is pretty extreme, um, if the idea that you created that disempowers you, then it's not about how it got there. It's about what you want to do with it now that it is. If the idea that you created it empowers you to change it, then 
absolutely take on that idea. Mm-hmm. There, there is no requirement to look at this in any particular way other than the way that works for you. If we take something on that does not work for us, then, then, then that's just silliness. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but back to metaphysical guilt. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't feel they have permission to just take on what works for them or even use the words that work for them. So um, some people will call this sacrilegious. Oh, boy. But if God is all there is, then I am that. And so everybody listening, by the voice of God, you have full authority and permission to choose what works for you. Whoa. All right. (laughs) You heard it here. (laughs) And say it for yourself. God is all there is. That means God is what I am. So by the voice and the authority of the Christ presence as me, I can choose what works for me and get rid of what doesn't. Because it's all God anyway. Because it's all Whatever God anyway. Whatever I choose is divine. Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. Okay, but what about the people who behave really badly? What about them? They're divine just as much as you and I are. They are, but what they're choosing may not be considered divine. We're back to labels, aren't we? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, and, and that's – but that's, that's – that's where our work is. It's so easy from, you know, we've got this very limited perspective. We've got our, our human sense perspective, our ego consciousness perspective. And I'm not one of the person who, people who advocates killing the ego and that the ego is bad and all of that. The ego is necessary to survive on the planet. Right. Um, it's about putting it in its right place. But we have a very limited perspective. So it can be difficult for us to see um, – all of the different machinations, all of the different pieces and cosmic tumblers that are moving to have a certain thing be a certain way. Um, this is part of back to that idea of acceptance. If we had all of the information, which we have access to, we just haven't really put the work in to get that, um, we, would, we would absolutely choose exactly what's happening. Like if I could see mm-hmm. all of the uh, difficulty in my life, if I could see all of the ways that that difficulty was benefiting me, all of the possibilities behind that, if I could see a clear outcome where I am so much better for having gone through it, which is always the possibility, then it doesn't matter how negative in human terms that experience would be. I would choose it in a heartbeat if I had that information. So part of it is about part of this acceptance thing about accepting what is, again, not resent, being resigned to it, is about saying, I don't have all the information here. Mm-hmm. There is a greater wisdom than me, one that birthed the universe and keeps planets in orbit at the same time that it's managing these little tiny microbiomes on this planet and every other planet. There's a lot of wisdom there. I don't have direct access in this moment to all of that wisdom, so I can't see everything that's going on here. Right, so in that case, I'm going to I'm just going to step back. I'm going to trust that there is an intelligence greater than me orchestrating this, and that if we say, as Unity's basic principle number one does, God, the good omnipotence, all powerful good, available everywhere, all the time, not guaranteed, but available, then I can go for that because I'm accepting that what is is. It's in my experience for. A reason. It's in my experience. So what do I want to do with it? How can I learn from it? Whatever the way is that works for you. Um, and then going after that. 
going after the growth, going after the learning, not being focused on all the negative outcomes, but how this is going to benefit me. I find that very empowering that I don't have all the information. Mm-hmm. Although I love information, I, I always want more input. Um, but, and particularly where other people are concerned, when we see them suffering, going through a hard time, someone's child is addicted to drugs or just any experience they're having, it really helps me to remember I don't know their soul's path. Mm-hmm. I don't know what or whether they chose some of this before they came in mm-hmm. for a perfectly valid reason. I do know that a lot of people who've had near-death experiences or awakening experiences say, oh, it's all perfect. It's, oh. Mm-hmm. And I have not had that experience myself. I'm still <laughs> very much in labels most days. But I'll take their word for it, that things really are fine the way they are. Yeah. Yeah, not having all of the information is can ignorance is bliss, right? <laughs> so that's <laughs> actually, that's a, it's really frustrating <laughs> to be ignorant. But like you said, when you talk about, you know, seeing other people in suffering and not knowing really what their curriculum is. We started out right, talking right. about curriculum, right? We don't know what that experience that it has for that person. And so for us to then in our consciousness label it wrong, for us to pity for us to try to remove that situation from them because mm-hmm. we label it bad is potentially getting in the way of their learning and growth. And that's when we come back to that topic of compassion that we talked about before. Beloved, this suffering, I, I, I don't like to see you in this suffering, and yet I don't know what it's there to do for you. So I'm just going to love you in the midst of your suffering and hold for you that you receive the greatest good out of this. Now, how can I support you in working through this suffering rather than taking it away from you? Right? That's a very compassionate way to be with somebody. And the thing is, we're making up stories all the time anyway. Right? So uh, I was reminded when you were talking about that, one of my favorite examples is when we get cut off in traffic and get upset because this person is cutting us off and driving terribly. We don't know why they're doing that. We're making up a story that they're just inconsiderate and a jerk and deserve our scorn. But it could just be as likely that they have a loved one in the hospital and they are rushing to the hospital for that loved one. Mm -hmm. We make up the story. So we might as well make up a story that fills us with love and compassion and encourages us to send a blessing to that person rather than one that encourages us to send a curse to that person, which is going to make it as far as our windshield and then bounce right back in our face. And even if they are a jerk driving badly, if we knew their whole story, we would still have compassion Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You do a lot of spiritual work in the car. <laughs> well, we spend a lot of time in the car. We do spend a lot of time in the car. We have exactly 10 minutes left. So let's talk about spiritual communities because your book title, Church Free Spirituality, mm. which I said in the beginning is one of the all time great book titles, and I wish I'd thought of it, um, is not meant to imply that you sh- you should just be out there on your own. Correct. Okay. So. If church is not your thing, you know, 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, sing, pray, listen to a sermon, mm-hmm. 
what else is there? So there are uh, there are a lot of different opportunities for spiritual community, but I think first it's good to look at why we have a spiritual community. Okay. So the importance of a spiritual community is that if our spiritual practice is about learning and growing, the spiritual community supports us in that. Um, where two or more are gathered, right? There's a very biblical quote for you. Where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am amongst you, whatever. I forget the exact quote. When you're with somebody else or with multiple people and you're all working towards the same goal, when you're all working on spiritual practice and spiritual growth together, your efforts support the others in that group and the others in that group support you. Uh, I may see somebody... Somebody may share an aha moment, some wonderful thing that they learned, and that'll cause something else to click in my experience. So the support that we receive from a spiritual community in doing our own work and the spiritual education that we get from simply being around like-minded people is so supportive in our own spiritual practice. So what defines spiritual community? You can absolutely have a spiritual practice in a religious community, Mm -hmm. right? Your typical Sunday experience. Right. There are spiritual communities who function like church services but are more spiritual than religious. Unity is one of those. Centers for Spiritual Living is another. There's many independent new thought organizations that have that same format but more of a spiritual focus rather than a religious focus. Unity Online Radio is a spiritual community. Mm -hmm. You go in those message boards. You make comments. You talk to other people there. You create a spiritual community for yourself. Book study, book clubs can be spiritual communities. Create a spiritual community for yourself by reaching out on Facebook to your friends saying, hey, I want to read this book. Anybody interested in reading this book? Let's create a closed Facebook group and we'll just read this book together and we'll discuss it. That then becomes a spiritual community. YouTube is a spiritual community. Again, when you access the comments and you find that group of people that are beneficial and have a conversation. Uh, There are so many ways that we can create spiritual community, which is really just a group of people who are working in the same direction, Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't even have to be on the same path. Uh, My wife and I have slightly different spiritual paths, uh, but we support each other in that. We're our own spiritual community. You could have, uh, you know, a... A Muslim and a Hindu and a Jew and a Christian and an atheist and a pagan all come together in a spiritual community and and have that interfaith experience be supportive. So spiritual community is something that, again, it's it's so easy to um, to try to do this all on our own. Um, and for a long time, for me, that's what that's what I needed. I needed that that sort of closed off, almost like hermit-like work inside of my own self-experience. But then the time comes when we need to share that with others, Mm -hmm. when we need inspiration, we need that encouragement. Um, So spiritual community is is where we get that. And like everything that we've talked about, we should not put limits on what spiritual community can be. So spiritual growth is ultimately an inside job, but you don't have to do it alone. Yes. And what I've noticed is that a lot of people resonate with spiritual communities that were not the ones they grew up with. Mm -hmm. So a sangha. uh, Where I lived in Texas, there was a Hindu temple nearby. And there were were some people who would bounce back and forth between unity and the Hindu temple. Mm -hmm. 
And so wherever you find it, but I love that it can be a book club or a Facebook group yeah. as well. So we keep coming back to the intention with which you do it. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Brother Lawrence washing dishes mm-hmm. and making it a meditative experience just because of the thoughts he was thinking while he did it. Yeah. Um, classes are great spiritual communities. Um, and since you mentioned a lot of people finding um, inspiration in communities, spiritual communities that they did not grow up with, I happen to know that in the next cycle at Unity Worldwide Spiritual Institute, there is going to be an amazing course on religion of origin healing where you can take all of the stuff that you got from that religion that you came out of, all of the damage that might be in there, all of the false beliefs, the things that you're feeling stuck about, and through this course, help to look at those with some positive, easy spiritual tools and release them and grow through them so that what is present for you now can become alive and vital rather than being stuck in that religion of origin. Wow. Who's going to teach that course? Uh, that would be this amazing spiritual teacher named Sherry Jameson. Uh, I'm a little biased because I'm married to her. Um, but uh, but it's a wonderful course. It's been taught several times um, and was actually developed over a nine-month period. It's not a nine-month class, but um, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal way to engage in your spiritual growth and your spiritual education and build a spiritual community mm-hmm. because the people who you are in that class with will become a spiritual community for you. And it's an online class. Uh, This is a good time to mention Unity Worldwide Spiritual Institute, which is Unity's seminary. We usually call it UWSI, and it's uwsi.org, right? I believe so. They are starting a whole array of classes for people who are not interested in becoming ministers or licensed teachers, but who would love some spiritual education. It's called Spiritual Explorers, and they are adding new classes every term. Mm -hmm. So you can just sign up and go online with people from all over the world and take the class. So you might want to go check that out on their website, uwsi.org. We'll get you there. Uh, That's great. I've heard Sherry talk about her healing your religion of origin work, but I didn't know she was teaching a class on it. I think she'll be mobbed with students. I hope so. Because so many of us have some damage from our early religious education. Mm-hmm. So community can also become a graduate school for relationships. Mm. Um, you know, this shows up in churches a lot. Just volunteers who get on each other's nerves or something about the hierarchy and someone's mm-hmm. feelings get hurt and... Uh, people who date within the church was always an issue, only when they broke up. Uh, as long as they were happy, it was fine. So that may be the <clears throat> the shadow side of community, but I think it's also worthwhile. Well, and those things, too, are can be, can be things that grow us. Mm-hmm. Right. We will wherever we go, there we are. Yes. So it's it's the story of the person. Um, uh, a man decided to leave his town because uh, he just he didn't like his town. He's going on the road. He comes to a gate at another town and and he asked the gatekeeper, well, what are the people like in this town? And he said, well, uh, well, what are the people like from the town you came from? And the guy says, oh, they were they were very mean and nasty and sour and nobody liked anybody and it was awful. And he said, well, the people here are much like that. 
And so the traveler went along his way. A little while later, another traveler comes along and says, what are the people like in this town? The gatekeeper says, what were the people like where you came from? He said, they were kind and loving and generous. So, well, people here are much like that, mm-hmm. right? Wherever we go, there we are. So wherever we find ourselves in spiritual community, with these relationships rubbing up against us, causing our buttons to be pushed. Guess what? We installed those buttons, consciously or unconsciously. And the only reason a button gets pushed is to show us where it is so we can uninstall it. That's it. Which is our opportunity for spiritual growth. That's right. That's right. So all of those relationships teach us about ourselves more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Because the relationship happens, guess what? 100% within ourselves. The relationship does not happen outside of ourselves. It happens in my own consciousness and the way that I relate to what's going on. That's why you can have a wonderful relationship with somebody and another person can have a terrible relationship with that exact same person. Yes. It's not about them. It's about you. We keep creating our experience, don't we? hmm Yeah. We have 25 seconds left. Any final words? Absolutely. Your spiritual practice is more important than anything else. There is no need to put the authority and control of your spiritual experience outside of yourself. It exists within you. You are the only one who has any authority in your consciousness to do anything. And so this is about taking the reins of authority back and finding what works for you so that you can be more joyful, peaceful, and loving in your life and to bring that to all those around you. Wow. Thanks so much to Ben Jameson for being with us these four weeks. When we come back after the holidays, we'll be with Paul Hasselbeck for four weeks, talking about the absolutism of Charlesville. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.